Welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grandfield. Welcome to episode six of Time for the Good News. Susan, you've got some interesting statistics for us, haven't you? Yeah, I thought I would start off with this um, because it once again reinforces why um, this podcast about good news is is so much needed. Um, so it was an article on Positive.News, which is, is an online magazine, but there's also a physical magazine. They found, um, they, they reported on research from the Reuters Institute that, not surprisingly, people are switching off from mainstream news because it's so overwhelmingly negative. Absolutely, yeah. What they found, what the research found was that 38% of people globally now avoid the news. Wow, that's a lot of people. And in the UK, the figure is 46%. Gee, crikey. Yeah. And that rate has nearly doubled since 2016. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wow. I mean, that's incredible. Almost half the people in the UK yeah. are now avoiding the news. Yeah. And when the researchers asked what were the reasons for them disconnecting, 55% of people in the UK said quite simply the news was bringing them down. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? So it, it may also be affecting you know, part of the mental health problem that people are just Absolutely. being bombarded with bad news. Yeah. And so there is a movement in, in mainstream, mainstream journalism um, to get more balance um, because there's a recognition that actually the negativity is having a, a bigger impact than perhaps was first that people were first mm. aware of. Well, when we set this up, it was because of the pandemic. So the news really was uh, mm. just bad, wasn't it? Mm. And, uh, you know, the idea was to bring some good news because everything was so bad, but you're suggesting that's since 2016. Mm. So it started before then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So let's lighten the mood um, and kick off with our first story. Yeah, so I've got one from Across the Pond, our American cousins. Mm-hmm. It's a great one, this one, and it's, it's kind of one of those ones where I read it and I got it, you know, the, the first headline didn't do it its full justice. So right. the US House of Representatives has passed a wildlife conservation bill that will see $1.39 billion allocated specifically to conserving endangered species. Wow. Well, you say wow. Now, I read that and I said $1.39 billion, that's not that much for mm-hmm. a big country like that's the US. So. so I clicked on the link and actually read the bill from the House of Representatives, and that's annually. Ah, Yeah, okay. so that's more like right, it. Yeah. And it seems to be annually forevermore mm. so that that's a serious contribution that's a fantastic bit of news coming out of the US mm. um, so the Recovering America's Wildlife Act was passed with a 231 votes versus 190 on in June mm-hmm. this amazing feat will see money directed to protecting 12,000 species of plants and animals and the money will be dispersed in grants to non-profit organisations and that's an important part isn't it so that government money is going to go to non-profit companies so it's not going to end up in pockets of shareholders and chief executive salaries and things like that mm. and that's going to you know it's that money is going to create and maintain habitats for endangered animals brilliant and also educating communities about the endangered species around them so the house of representatives member who is the lead sponsor debbie dingle it's probably dingell debbie dingell mm. um <laughs> She says, too many people didn't realise that roughly a third of our wildlife is at increased risk of extinction. A third. Yeah, it's incredible. 
In the USA, 1,600 animals have already been identified as threatened or endangered and in need of immediate, immediate assistance. Mm. And Colin O'Mara, who's chief executive of the National Wildlife Federation, which has a great website, by the way, for information about American wild, wildlife, right. is quoted as saying, when we save wildlife, we save ourselves. Mm. Very short and succinct nice. quote. For example, Hawaii will receive $60 million a year the most of any state, and this is due to being home to one third of the endangered animals in the USA, just in Hawaii alone. Oh, really? So this bill could also generate significant employment and as many as 30,000 people mm-hmm. uh, based on these wildlife yeah, projects. Yeah. Brilliant. Great news from the USA. Nice, nice. And great news from US politics as well. Yes, I know, I was worried when you mentioned the House yeah, of Representatives. Yeah, I yeah, no, it's great stuff. Yeah, great, brilliant. Well, my first story, um, where we find our stories is, is, is interesting to me. You know, sometimes we go looking for them and other times mm. they appear. Yeah. And I was watching a programme called Country File, which is a, a programme in the UK, um, which is a programme I'm growing to love. Um, but I won't go into all of that, but it really is an, a brilliant programme. And the story that came up was about slow ways. Okay, slow ways. Um, now, I came across the idea of uh, the slow movement a number of years ago, and there's lots of different elements to it, but it is all about slowing down from a busy pace of life, paying more attention to what's going on around us, being more conscious of what we eat and all these kinds of things. So it kind of piqued my, my interest. And what Slow Ways is, is an initiative to create a national network of walking routes connecting all of Great Britain's towns and cities as well as thousands of villages. So it started in the in the pandemic, it started in 2020 in, in the spring when we were all in lockdown. Um, and so currently there are over 8,000 slow ways stretching for over 122,000 kilometres. So they've produced a map, so you can go on to the slow ways website and you can see the map and it's really, it's, it's amazing. Never heard of this. Amazing. No, no. Yeah. Um, so on Countryfile, they interviewed somebody who's, who's been part of this. And it was really, I guess the key thing is there's a number of aspects to it. But one is to enable more people to get out and walk for different purposes. So whether it's to walk to the shops or whether it's to walk to the next village for social, you know, to meet someone or whether it's to exercise. Um, and, and the vast majority of the slow ways routes start and finish in populated places with the you know, various transport links, but also mm. food and accommodation. So you can actually create your own long distance walks around the country um, cool. through these slow ways. So what they're looking for now is for people to, to start to, to map them out and to review them so that they can be verified. So, um, you know, they, they, as I say, there's currently over 8,000 on there, but they want more people to get out there and walk and verify them so that people can use them with confidence. Um, and they talk about walking and wheeling, so obviously walking, cycling, yeah. but also for people um, who are, you know have various disabilities. Yeah. So there's an accessibility. Electric scooters, I imagine, all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear if this is happening in other countries in the world. I couldn't find anywhere else mm-hmm. when I looked mm-hmm. on on the internet. But if anyone's listening and you know something similar is happening in your country, let us know. Um, or maybe it's an idea you want to take to your country because it's yeah, sounds fantastic. Good. So yeah, it's great being able to you know quite quite popular now for people to do things for charity you know across the UK or mm. go from one end to the other or the fact that you can create your own long distance route long distance route perhaps between 
two cities or, or population area that means something to you is mm-hmm. fantastic yeah, yeah yeah and even just between villages yeah. you know um traveling how we used to travel mm-hmm. as well you know yeah. Yeah, brilliant good stuff to you. So my next one now, you've heard of the Elizabeth Line that's now open? Yes. So part of the huge Crossrail project in London that's tens of billions of pounds. So obviously named after the Queen, the Elizabeth Line, mm-hmm. uh, which is open. now part of, of that um, 42 billion project, the Elizabeth Line on its own, um, has been, you know, was to rebuild a coastal habitat, the soil from it has been used to build a coastal habitat for birds in Essex. Wow. Yeah, so all that sort of dug out of the ground, because there's 13 underground tunnels been dug for the Elizabeth Line. The soil's been taken out, transferred on canal barges 1,500 times to the east part of the UK to rebuild a wetland area for bird conservation. Goodness. So the Crossrail, Crossrail Line runs from Reading to London, through the capital to a place called Shenfield on the east coast. As I said, seven million tonnes of soil dug up, were dug up and transported across the country. The earth was taken to a place called Wallasey Island, which once was salt marshes, coastal lagoons and muddy flatlands, but was drained to make way for sheep farming and pasture, much um, like the highlands of Scotland were cleared yeah. to make way for sheep farming, etc. Now, but this was done from medieval times, so it was drained a long time ago. Mm. Now, unfortunately, farming is now not as profitable in this country. And the defensive seawall that protects the farmland is, is eroded. And the farmer couldn't afford to repair it. So he sold the land to the Royal Society of Protection of Birds. Right. So it's a bit of misfortune leading yeah. to fortune. So Rachel Fancy who's the site manager of uh, the Royal Society of Protection of Birds, Wallasey Island. The material was donated to the RSBB by the Crossrail project and allowed them to create the Jubilee Marsh. So the Queen's got yeah. the Elizabeth Line yeah. and now the Jubilee Marsh, uh, which is the cornerstone of the new reserve. And they've already seen hen and marsh harriers, widgeon, teal, plover, yellow wagtail, lapwings, blackbirds, oyster catchers, and skylarks have already been been right. seen there yeah and they've already seen 150 breeding pairs of avocets which is the endangered wading bird that would normally have in before medieval times before they drained this area would have populated that already in place in the reserve so mm. it's one of those things if you build it they will come they will come mm. and for me it's, it's from a bird the article is from a bird perspective mm-hmm. but you're going to get all the other associated creatures mm. in that area because of uh, you know making it back into a into a wetland marshland mm-hmm. area fantastic story mm. all that soil out of the out of the ground yeah. transported across the country at great effort meant to build you know a, a nature reserve yeah. you know the crossroad projects unearthed all sorts of interesting things like archaeological yeah. things you know, plague burial sites, all sorts of things. But just taking that, imagine where that, what they're going to do with that earth. Yeah. There's a great use for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the project itself is making London more accessible for yes. people. Yes, yeah. So reducing transport poverty and things like that. So a good project. Bit maligned. Yeah. Because of the amount of earthworks that are going on. 
but something that good that's come from the earthworms. And that's that's the thing for me, Matt. You you like birds, so I can see that you know the the interest in this was about all these bird species, mm. which um, mm. which is brilliant. For me, I was really just thinking, wow, we you know we lived in London for for a number of years. And there was so much controversy and negative press about Crossrail. And, and so, but we don't hear this stuff. We don't hear about you yeah. know, what, and it's not that it's necessarily, you know, negates the negative stuff, yeah. but it creates a bit more balance yes. when you yeah. hear the story from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, huge infrastructure projects um, are in some ways good for the country, for the economy, for employment, things like that. They get maligned for digging up the earth and for moving or having to demolish buildings that might have some level of history but the fact that you can uh, that's an example of what can be done, can be done with yes. effort yes you know it's a 19 million pounds project it's dwarfed by the cost of crossrail yeah but the waste material mm. has been used for mm. good and it's already the results are already coming through yeah even before the actual elizabeth line mm. opened mm-hmm. yeah. yeah brilliant brilliant well, I'm going to take us into um, a different part of the world now, um, and this this is another good example of where a story. I start with a story, and then it takes me, you know, it opens up into into you know other things that I I didn't first get when I read the story. So I came across this, and and the headline was um, a, Tasmania has become one of the first jurisdictions in the world to re, um, to become net carbon negative. Really. So wow. we hear a lot about carbon neutral, yeah, but actually that's just one part of it. This is actually net carbon negative. So Tasmania, um, they have reduced their carbon dioxide emissions and increased um, the amount they're removing, which means that they're now in a, a negative, um, you know, they're in, a, in carbon negative. So how are they offsetting it? So what has happened is that they have decreased the area of Tasmania's native forests that were logged for pulpwood production. So it's basically around forest management. So okay. through their forest management, they've they've been able to um, uh, have gone be, from being a net emitter of carbon and other greenhouse gases to now removing more. So when you when you start to look at it, it's forest management. What what the, the people behind this are, are saying is forest management can have a really big impact on climate change. Mm. Um, they said that in, in Victoria, the state government acknowledged that emissions from native forest logging were equivalent to the emissions from 730,000 motor vehicles every year. Wow, so cutting down the trees that produce oxygen and absorb yeah. carbon dioxide was effectively yeah. like hundreds of thousands of cars driving around. In yeah. The- Right, okay. So what they're saying is the most effective place to to move us towards this, you know, net carbon um, uh, negative um, scenario more widely around the world, it, you know, is is forests not solely, but forests they hold so much carbon per unit than, you know, per um, unit yeah. area than than you know anything else. So well, they refer to the Amazon rainforests as the lungs of the earth, don't yeah. they? Things like that, yeah. you know, and they, and that's another area that's been suffered from logging and beef yeah. production actually yeah. you know, being cleared. So as I was reading this, I then thought, hmm, I wonder where else, if there is anywhere else that's net carbon negative. And there's, at the moment, one country that, that is, there's another couple that are kind of close to it, but the one country, can you guess what the one country is? 
Bhutan. It is. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So Bhutan is carbon negative, um, and 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 Dan and I are smiling at the moment because we visited Bhutan a few years ago and and loved it, and I, and I particularly was really curious about the fact that they are more concerned about happiness, well-being, you know, all of these kind of things than they are about gross national pro- uh, product, you know, like the rest of it, the world is. Interestingly, in Bhutan, their constitution states that 60% um, of the country must remain forested. It's in their constitution. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, it's at 72%. Well, from experience, we know that it, it's almost entirely forest, yeah. apart from the bits that, yeah. have, you know, some towns and some agricultural areas. Yeah. But even those agricultural areas are surrounded by forest, and the forests extend all the way up to 5,000 metres. Yeah. Uh, And Bhutan's doing a lot of other things around creating hydroelectricity and and various things which we won't go into, um, maybe come back to that. But it's a great example where a relatively underdeveloped country, mm. it's a small country though, Mm. it's a small country which perhaps makes Mm. it a bit easier, but relatively underdeveloped. having the forests there is something that is enabling them to mm. um, be net carbon uh, negative. I think one observation for Bhutan would be people live in their communities and road traffic, there was barely any, mm-hmm. do you remember? Uh, yeah. Road traffic, as we know, is a major is the major contributor. So yeah. The other two countries are Panama and Suriname. I'm not sure if it's... Suriname, saying. yeah. Is that, yeah, it's a country north of, of in um, north of Brazil. So there are... For me, there's hope there. You know, mm, there mm. are countries there that are not just net car or carbon neutral, net carbon negative. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Interestingly, they're all f- heavily forested. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that they've got they've key. got the um the the trees the the kind of land covering that you would need to get to that carbon yeah. negative. So it's not just it's not just about not putting emissions out, it's about maintaining, maintaining the forest forested areas. So that they can got. take take it back yeah. out, you know, Whereas we're still, sequestering. We're still trying to replant the forest that we've cut down over the last yeah. thousand years, haven't yeah. we? So yeah. Okay. So over to you Dan. Now electric cars. Mm. So a new electric car is being released this year with an added feature. It can run on solar power. So Dutch startup Lightyear have created the first um, production-ready electric car which can harness the power of the sun. Right. Not so great if you live in Scotland. Well, I'm can't The company claim that the car can go for months without being charged thanks to its curved solar panels on its roof and a 600-kilowatt battery pack. Right. Oh, I don't know what that means. Maybe a big battery No, pack. I don't know. The light, the light Year Zero has a 388-mile range and 44 miles of that can be generated completely from solar. Okay. So if you know a hybrid car yeah. can do 44 miles on ele- electricity but then kicks into petrol, Yeah. this is 44 miles on solar before it kicks into the into electricity. electric. Yeah, do you oh, see what okay. I mean? Okay. Interestingly. Mm. So it's a totally electric car. Mm. So... In less than sunny countries like the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, it's probably going to be about, um, is it t- three hours between, sh- s- three, sorry, three or four months between charges, right? Yeah, depending on the length of the journeys that you do. Mm-hmm. But in Spain or Portugal, mm-hmm. it's going to be seven months. And I put in my notes, in Scotland, it's probably going to be 10 minutes between charges. <laughs> yeah. But you can see the difference between when, when it will need charging uh-huh, and things like uh-huh. that. So... 
the car's been in development for the past six years with the company creating the car due to seeing the need for an electric vehicle that wasn't reliant on being plugged in frequently, mm-hmm. as we know. So Lex Hoofsloot, co-founder and CEO of Lightyear, says, by 2030, we can expect 84 million electric vehicles on the roads in Europe alone, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. He says there's no hiding from it that access to charging stations will not keep up with demand yeah. uh, of the electric cars that are on the road. So to minimise plug charging and maximise range, the industry strategy has been to add more batteries. Mm. Now, batteries are a much maligned part of the electric car industry because of the minerals from the earth, the elements of minerals from the earth that are needed to make them. Mm -hmm. means a lot of earth is being moved, much like the, the story we just talked about. So by reducing the need for larger batteries, Mm. small um, by having solar power charging that battery Mm -hmm. then you don't need so much in the way of battery power also more batteries means heavier cars so the smaller the battery the lighter the car needing less power yeah yeah so they've also made it environmentally friendly uh, as possible so plant-based leather i don't know what that is but Ooh. The seats are made out of plant-based leather. leather. Fabrics also made from recycled PET bottles. We've talked about PET yeah, on the podcast before, and it has wooden decorative elements. Now, posh cars have always had wooden decorative yeah, elements, yeah. That's new. but these are made from sustainably restructured rattan palm. Huh? Who knew? Who knew that you had that? Whatever that whatever is. Whatever it is. Yeah. So the catch is the price. Mm. Yeah, which is two hundred and fifteen thousand pounds or two hundred and sixty-three thousand dollars. But once again, it's a start, yeah. and it's technology. Technology is always expensive at the beginning. So yeah. a Tesla is now what sixty thousand pounds, seventy thousand mm. pounds. It's not that far off this, mm. you know. So obviously, the price of this will come down. Yeah. So yeah. solar again. I yeah. mean, what you know, power from the sky. What could be better? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so many of the stories that we share, I, I think, have that message that the answers are out there. Mm. If we work with the natural world, yeah. Yeah. we can. We, we, we don't have to dra- you know we don't have to stop doing the things like moving around yeah, the world yeah. in cars but we can just do it in a way that is more sustainable mm, mm. and the answers are out there already and the sun is also a pretty boundless source of energy mm. you know it, it's already there it's already doing what yes. it's evolved to do yeah all we're doing is turning the environment down here which sometimes affects our ability to harness its yeah. harness its energy mm-hmm. but these clever Dutch folk mm-hmm. have created a car that hopefully yeah. will be the start of the technology that leads to cars needing tiny batteries. Yeah. So less uh, elements being taken out of Earth. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to finish up with a story um, and I'm just going to point people towards our website to look at the video of this because it's definitely something that's better observed than uh, watched than, than described. So go to our website, timeforthegoodnews.co.uk or our Facebook page, Susan and Dan's podcast, um, to see a video of this. So around the world, people will have heard of air ambulances. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, so this is an air ambulance with a difference because it's a paramedic with a jetpack. Oh, brilliant. I, I mean, think I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, It is yeah. brilliant. So uh, the Great North Air Ambulance Service um, w- uh, announced in September 2020 that it was testing a jetpack, but had to sus- you know, suspend um, its, its testing because of COVID, etc. But they now have somebody who's fully trained up to use it. Um, and it's, it's out there being used um, around the Lake District National Park um, as we speak. 
So now, interestingly, I saw a guy. Is he from Mountain Rescue? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've seen, I saw Lawson. a video of it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So the video is brilliant. Basically, so you, you, I'll try and conjure up an image for people. So um, it's a it, it basically it's a, a suit that the person wears. It has two engines on each arm and a larger engine on the back. Um, and the pilot moves, um, you know, mm. direction and movement are controlled by hand, you know, the, the pilot's hands. Um, so the engine provides up to 317 pounds of thrust, which allows the pilot to ascend very quickly. Mm. Um, so to just put it in perspective, a helicopter takes between 25 and 30 minutes to reach a patient in the um, Lake District National Park. Now, because of the terrain, it can be really difficult to find a flat surface to land mm. on. Mm. So helicopters are not always the best option. Um, for somebody on foot, um, you know, if they land the helicopter and have to get to yeah. them, it could be up to 30 minutes. Yeah. But with this jetpack, medics can fly up a hill in about 90 seconds. Yeah, so helicopters can't always fly in very bad weather. And yeah. mountainous areas are renowned for very bad weather. Exactly. I saw this chap fly up Helvellyn, which is a well-known mountain in Lake District, mm. in 90 seconds. Yeah. Normally on foot, it takes two two hours to walk up it. Yeah. So it's about getting the paramedic, the first responder, up the hill. Exactly, uh, and it is amazing. I mean, yeah. Royal Marine Commandos are using jetpacks to board ships from small boats and things like that as well. Yeah. So there's quite a lot in that. I mean, I hate to think what kind of emissions they they create, but uh, yeah, you know, you know, if it's less than a helicopter, well, surely, you know, yeah. and it's short, you know, short yeah, journeys. Short bursts, um, so. And, and they found that it can be used in um, wind, you know, winds of up to 35 miles an hour, yeah, which yeah, is useful yeah, in, yeah. in mountainous areas. Um, so, yeah, again, it's, you know, go and watch the video because it is amazing. It is amazing. Um, Watching him fly at the Helvellyn, you can see, and that's, I've seen that somewhere. Yeah. And maybe that's the video we're talking yeah, about. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah. isn't it just incredible, you know, as we're all sitting doing whatever it is we do for our, yeah. our jobs every day and people are out there creating things like jetpacks yeah, for yeah. paramedics. Electric cars running off the solar off power. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, Fantastic stuff. Great. Well, we hope you've enjoyed these stories as much as we've uh, enjoyed finding them and sharing them with you. Um, so we'll be back again next month with more good news stories. Please get in touch. Please share your stories with us. And please share the podcast far and wide yes good news for everybody yeah bye for now goodbye